This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Thank you for being here today. I invite you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to walk through a passage that talks about, in many ways, for Paul, what was going to be a new year, a new direction that had taken place in his life. Paul's writing this passage, most likely under house arrest. He is writing to the church at Philippi. It was a church where he had actually been imprisoned in jail. Many of you are familiar with the term known as the Philippian jailer. And the encounter that Paul had there is God performed an incredible miracle and had an opportunity uh, to share the gospel with the jailer, but not just the jailer, with his family as well, and to see him come to faith in Christ. It was one of the first churches in Macedonia that Paul had founded. And as he's there in jail writing a letter to them, he's reflecting on what's happened in his life. Hadn't really been probably the best of years for Paul. Over the last couple years, he had been imprisoned. He had been taken before many persons for trials. He had had to give defenses of his faith. He had appealed to Caesar to be taken to Rome, and in that process of going to Rome, he was shipwrecked. He uh, continued in imprisonment. Actually, after the shipwreck, he was bitten by a snake, and, and, and God healed him from that. But as he had traveled and had, had maybe even gone before the Caesar of the time, Paul was looking ahead, and he was very uncertain what might be going on in his life and what the next few days and even the next few years would hold. We know there was a period of time where for two years Paul's life was on hold. He was kept in a, uh, basically under house arrest, and during that time there were four letters that he wrote to churches. And when you go back and look at these letters, it's fascinating to see what was Paul thinking how was he looking to God? In what ways was he dealing with the circumstances and resolving himself for what was ahead? You know, we kind of do that a lot of times this time of year. We look back on the year that we've just encountered and we're looking back for the things that uh, we really did enjoy. The, maybe the vacations that we took, the opportunities we had for ministry, maybe career changes. But oftentimes we have these kind of residual feelings of things that maybe didn't go as well in this last year that we had hoped and maybe things that we want to change. So we usually have resolutions that deal with I'm going to do more of something or I'm going to do less of something. We are going to engage more in carrying out this item or we're going to withdraw from certain things so that we have more time. And, you know, it's a time of year where we do a lot of reflection. And as I was recently reading through Philippians, I was thinking about that aspect. And as I came across this passage, it was incredible to watch Paul as he was reflecting on how he had come to the place where he was. And how it was that in the midst of his suffering, he was looking ahead and wrestling with, well, what happens if I die, but what happens if I live? And yet in the midst of that, there is hope. In the midst of that, there's expectation. In the midst of those difficulties, Paul is looking ahead 
at what God could do still to invest himself in other people and in other believers as he was still thinking what it means not only to be a disciple of Christ, but for him to make disciples and to see others being fruitful in ministry. So we're going to pick up in verse 19 as we look at this idea of honoring Christ in the year of expectation and hope. Notice verse 19. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager, and notice these words, expectation and hope, that I will not be ashamed, but that with the full courage, now as always, that Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ. And then he makes a statement, and to die is gain. Paul begins this passage by rejoicing in the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of the prayers that he was understanding that had been taking place from the Philippian church. He had hope and expectation for the future. Because he says there that this, this prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ will turn out for my deliverance. Now many commentators would look at this word deliverance. It has this idea of being delivered out of something or be, being delivered unto something. And so Paul, in his immediate context, is probably thinking about his imprisonment. That God was going to use the work of the Holy Spirit and the prayers of the other believers that were praying for him. That there was an expectation that in his deliverance, that he had hope that God was going to deliver him and that there was work yet to do. But yet as we read the passage and we kind of walk through this, we realize and you see immediately that Paul is not unaware. He is not without an awareness that death could be for him. We know ultimately that Paul will come back to Rome. He is delivered out of these circumstances. He does have many more years of ministry, but he will ultimately come back and he will die at the hand of one of the emperors of Rome named Nero. And, and then Rome is about to become a place of turmoil for Christians. It's about to become a place where Christians will be martyred and lose their life in many ways. Because Nero is about to come to power. But yet before that takes place, Paul is writing. And he is aware that he may live many more days for ministry. But yet he is also aware that he may lose his life as a martyr for the faith. But yet notice he has hope. And he makes a statement here as he's writing. And he says that Christ would be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, he says, and to die is gain. Now that's an incredible statement. For me to live is Christ. And Paul says that the, the living of his life, the very passions of his life, the very existence that he has in carrying out the work that God has called him to must be an all-consuming desire to live for Christ. He makes that statement, for me to live is Christ. He, he says there, he's already said that he would be that Christ would be honored in his body, whether by life or by death. And Paul is saying that no matter what he is doing, he wants to live for Christ, 
Now, what does that look like? We live in a situation where many of us believers in, in Christ, uh, we use the term Christian or Christ followers, that we also are on a journey. We also are moving day by day, living in the power of the Spirit. And what does that look like for us? How do we come to the place, as Paul would say, for me to live is Christ? Paul will obviously deal with the issues here of character because he realizes that to be a Christian means to carry out the character and to live out the character of Christ. Sometimes we have this idea oftentimes in Christianity that the title Christian is, a, is an identifier. It's a, you know, I'm a citizen of America. I'm a Christian. I am a, a citizen of the city of Suffolk. And it's one of many identifiers. But for Paul to be a follower of Christ is not a mere identifier alongside of his Roman citizenship. It is the passion of his life. It is the overall arching theme of his life that he is a follower of Christ. And that identifier to live is to Christ impacts not just one portion of his life, not just his worship on Sunday morning, but it impacts all of life in his career, in his family, in his private life, that no matter where he is or no matter what he is doing, that he is a follower of Christ. And Paul says, for me to live is Christ. Because Christ should impact all areas of our life. When I come to faith in Christ, I transfer my trust from trusting in myself or trusting in a false belief system to trusting in Christ alone and the work that he has done on the cross and the redemption that is given. And when I believe in faith and trust in Christ and repent of my sins, the Bible is clear that there is a new position. There is a, a, a passing away of the old and a new man, a new person that comes. And out of that new identification, I have the Spirit of God living inside of me. God sees me as holy before Christ and before himself. He sees me as sanctified and set apart. But yet all of life from that point on is living out what it means to be in that new position. And so when I transfer my trust from myself or another belief system, then that means I need to understand what it is that God asked me to believe about himself, about scripture, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit. There is a knowledge of truth in scripture that God gives to us. And as he gives that to us, we immerse ourselves in abiding in Christ, abiding in the word. And there is a new knowledge, a new understanding, a new set of beliefs that begins to come. And that is part of that process of spiritual growth. You know, we're reading scripture. When I was a new believer, um, you know, someone suggested to me that I should, that the Bible was God speaking to me. And that if I wanted to know God, that I should read scripture and that scripture would give me insights into him. And it would give me an understanding of how I was to live my Christian life. So as a new believer, I thought, well, I, I need to know how to do this. That's important. So I began to pick up the Bible and began to read. And as I read, I saw certain things. There were certain things that I was asked to no longer keep doing. So I tried to, to cease from doing those things. 
There were truths that were there that, that were for me to engage, to begin sharing my faith, to begin to do, uh, begin to teach God's word if I had opportunity. So I began to engage in those things as I, was, as I read in scripture that I was to be doing. And I realized that as I was reading scripture that there were certain things that became very convicted of that, that needed to change because I no longer could live that way because there was a new way of thinking. There was a new way of Christ. There was a new way. And so it was a very easy for me to work to identify those things in my life that would glorify Christ. So that as I lived my life, I could say, hey, for me to live is Christ because I'm seeking to know him. I'm seeking to understand him in doing that. Paul also, though, says that for me to die is gain. There's a glorification in the glorification of God when we live our life according to his will and according to his word. But there also has to be a recognition in our lives that even if there is loss, even if there is death, even if it means us no longer living on this earth, that there is a gain in that. That there is a future expectation, a future hope that comes when we're a believer in Christ. Because we gain a better home forever eternal in the heavens with Christ. We gain a better inheritance that, as First Peter says, is undefiled, that's incorruptible, and that never fades away and is held by the very power of God. And when we go into the presence of Christ in death, there is this expectation that that inheritance is sealed and it is forever. It's not a, okay, I'm here now and then I'm over here in hell or purgatory and then I'm back in heaven. No, it's this expectation that the inheritance I have in Christ is with him. In fact, if you look in verse 23, Paul says, my desire is to depart and to be with Christ. He will say in 2 Corinthians, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We gain a better fellowship as we worship with Christ. And I love reading the book of Revelation and seeing those glimpses into heaven of the saints from every tribe and every tongue and every nation worshiping at the throne of God and realizing that as that transitions of heaven take place in the sense that whatever it means to be in the presence of Christ now at his second coming, there will be a opportunity to be on the earth for a thousand years reigning with Christ and then in a new heaven and a new earth living in the restored earth made by God, made back very similar to the Garden of Eden and realizing the eternal hope and expectation of life with Christ. Some of you in this last year have lost loved ones and years past you've lost loved ones that were in Christ. <laughs> Rejoice with them. They're in the presence of the Lord and there is a greater fellowship. But Paul realizes that while he may die, it is more likely that he will live and that he will stay. I do think it is interesting oftentimes that we misplace priorities for what we live for. Because if we live for anything other than Christ, then to die is not gain. Because if for me to live is wealth, then to die is not gain. If for me to live is prestige or success, 
then to die is not gain. If for me to live is money or possessions, then to die is not gain. If for me to live is pleasure or self-glorification, then to die is loss. But make no mistake that Paul in this passage says, for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. And that to honor Christ and to follow him means an opportunity for God to transform and to change us and to live for his glory and to live in expectation of the hope that is ahead. But I think some of our understanding of even what Paul would say to us is still in the passage. Because we have to honor Christ, not just by being disciples ourselves, but being disciples of others as we honor Christ by investing in others. Look in verses 23 through 26. If I am to live in the flesh, then that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me, you will have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you. Now, Paul continues this dialogue in these verses about living and dying. And so he's looking and contrasting what it means to live or to die. And he is clear that to live in the flesh means, as he states, fruitful labor, the bearing of fruit. And I think that's true of every Christian. We are to be bearing the fruits of the Spirit that we, if we abide in Christ, uh, John 15 says, then we will bear much fruit. And so there is an aspect of our Christian life that is the bearing of fruit, the bearing out of the work of Christ. And Paul is clear in Galatians what that looks like in terms of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, uh, gentleness, kindness, self-control. That there are characteristics and character traits that should be in our life. And as we grow in our faith, that they characterize us more and more in our spiritual maturity. But it's more than just character. It also is the carrying out of ministry. Paul has talked about how during his imprisonment, and he talks about this in verses 12 through, uh, I believe it's 18, where all the while that he was imprisoned, all the while while he was suffering these things, he was sharing the gospel. And that from Jerusalem to Caesarea by the sea, and later in his shipwreck, and then going into Italy, and then now even into the imperial guard, he says that the gospel of Christ was being proclaimed. And so it's almost as if Paul, along his journey, at every place, at every time, was sharing the gospel of Christ with someone else. And that must be true of you and I as well. 
God has set us on a path, on a spiritual path. He has given us direction in our life. And no matter what the year was behind us, there are many years ahead of us. And as we walk through this life, our life must be characteristics of the fruits of the Spirit and the carrying out of the sharing of the gospel with others. And Paul says, look, if I stay, there are a lot of things for me to be doing as I am working and investing in others. But he also says that if he is to go, if he is to depart, verse 23, my desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that's far better. Now, we, we often look at that statement, and, and you know, I, when I was younger in life, you know, I would always hear pastors and leaders that I knew, as they got older, it seemed like they reflected on heaven more. You know, more sermons on heaven, more discussions about what it will be like and to be in the, in the presence of Christ. And I used to always think, when you get older, why is it that you become more and more fascinated with dying or death and the, and the doing of that? And as a young person, that seemed to just kind of be a mystery to me. But as I've grown in my faith, and yes, as I've added a few years and added a few gray hairs, it's, there, there is this remembrance that this life is not all there is. That as I am living out my faith and as I am serving God, there is a hopeful expectation that God's kingdom is here. And there is a sense where I am living that out, but yet there is an expectation that beyond this life and into the next, that God has a larger plan, a larger purpose. He is going to redeem us. And all that it means to be a follower of Christ will only be realized as I step from this part of my life of this earthly journey into the beginning of that heavenly journey. I remember being at the bedside of Peggy even, um, you know, this week and just reflecting with the family and talking about that. And there is an expectation there is this realization that when there is pain and there is suffering on this side, that as you move from this life to the next, that there is a joyful expectation that God is doing. And he has given us a work to do here, but there is an expectation of life beyond this life and an expectation of serving him in the kingdom of God now and still yet to come. And we need to be a little more mindful of our citizenship. Not in America, not in Virginia, and not even in Suffolk, but that we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And that God has given us a work, and he has given us truth, and he has given us the ability to proclaim, and that there is a work to do. And even though there is an expectation to come, there is no opportunity for us to just sit back and enjoy the ride, but we must be a part of God's work in his kingdom in serving others and sharing the gospel and teaching the gospel and teaching the truth of God's word to others. But notice what he says here. But I remain, verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue for your progress and joy in the faith. Now Paul's challenge then to the Philippians 
was that he has this sense that even though he could be moving forward into God's eternal presence, there also is a likelihood that he's going to remain. And that he has an expectation, not only that he will remain, but that something will happen in their lives. That him staying should result in something else. And notice he says that. Your progress in the faith and your joy in the faith. So is Paul saying that his remaining means that as he gives himself to others, that there will be progression in their faith? Yes, that's exactly what that means. And as he remains, as they progress in their faith, that there will be more contentment and joy in their faith. Yes, that's exactly what he means. And he goes on, if you notice, to say, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ. Because as their faith is growing, as their contentment and joy is becoming greater, there's a greater glorification of Christ in their life as well. Now think about that. How have you progressed in your faith? And I'm reading this passage and I think that's a valid question. How is my joy greater in my faith than it was even a few years ago? How is there a greater glorification where Christ is honored in a greater way in my body than it was just even six months ago or a year ago? That there is a sense that we need to be progressing in our faith. That we should never be content to rest. Never be content to settle. Many of you that were studying Gospel Project today and looking at the life of Moses, Moses is called to his greatest ministry ahead at the age of 30? No. Age of 40? No. Age of 60? No. Age of 80 years of age. And all that God had been doing in his life was getting him ready for that moment and that time and for the eventual years to come as well. Another 40 years in addition. As you look to the new year, I wanna challenge you to think through how you're progressing in your faith. What are you doing that's helping you mature and go to the next level in your faith? What resources are you looking at that can help you during the next year and years to come? Maybe it's a new Bible. Maybe it's a, a series of books that, that you need to read. Maybe it's an intentional discipleship process that you need to go through. And, I, and we're going to really make an effort over these next years to be much more intentional as a church about discipleship. We've been asking you um, over the last year, really the last two years, to, to be more intentional in sharing your faith and talking to your neighbors and praying for your neighbors and finding ways to serve your neighbors. And we're going to do that and we're going to build on that. In fact, I'll be talking about that Wednesday night in Adult 7, looking at uh, a way that we can bless every home in Suffolk and kind of beginning to introduce some of that concept. And we'll be talking more about that in the months to come. But one of the things as a staff that we're really working on is an intentional process of discipleship. 
where beyond, because I really feel like, and we feel like there needs to be a, this sense of progression in our faith, where someone comes to know Christ and knows faith and believes in him and begins to participate in worship and the, the preaching of God's word in worship, and then we begin to progress then into a group, a group of other believers where you're studying scripture together and you're, you're having those common experiences where in a group, we call it Sunday school, where we are there studying God's word and we're talking about the issues that we're facing in life and we're working together to do ministry and to minister to one another and to be growing in our faith. But there has to be an intentionality as Paul did with many men and as uh, Priscilla and others in scripture did with women as well, where there was a next level type of discipleship. And we're gonna introduce this concept of a D group or a discipleship group, where you're with a group of three or four or five people and you're reading scripture together, you're memorizing scripture together, and you are reading common materials that talk about things like growing in your faith and how to, how to, to the, what this process of sanctification looks like, to grow in holiness and to uh, learn about how I can then be a greater disciple that can then mentor someone else. Because you see it all throughout scripture, that process taking place. And then us being the body of Christ engaged, not just in our church, but in our community and taking the fruit of the spirit and the development and the progress of our faith and taking it to our community and to our nation and yes, in missions around the world. We've been working to kind of restructure and relook at that because we feel that there has to be those elements in a healthy body of Christ. It's not just enough for us to come to worship. It's not enough for us just to come and to hear the preaching. It's not enough for us just to come and to sit in Sunday school, but there has to be an engagement that moves us from that point to then reaching out to someone else, teaching scripture to someone else, mentoring someone else, and looking for opportunities around us where we can share the hope of Christ. If Paul can literally be in prison over a series of two years and share his faith every place along the way, I'm sure you and I can share our faith along the way as we live life in our neighborhoods and as we are engaged in our workplace and as we are engaged in our community. There has to be a progression of our faith. And Paul is clear, I'm staying, I'm remaining and if God takes me, then I will be in the presence of God. But if he does not take me, then my presence will be for the progress of your faith and the joy of your faith and the greater glorification of Christ. One of the things I love about our church, and you'll see it even on your program that you were given today, that our mission is to glorify Christ by making disciples who make disciples and disciples and impacting our community and those around the world. That's our mission. And we need to look at and structure and work in every way to carry out that mission in more intentional ways and in ways that give a greater glorification to Christ as that takes place in our community. The last thing that Paul talks about in this passage is a aspect of spiritual maturity that really we're not always comfortable talking about. Look in verse 27. 
Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. You see the unity, you see the sense of purpose that's there. And not frightened by any of your opponents, since this is a clear sign of their destruction. But of your salvation, that from God, for it has been granted to you, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but you should also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Paul wants to honor Christ, but part of him honoring Christ in his life has been suffering. Paul had seen others as he, before he was a believer, wanting to follow Christ, and he had brought persecution and even death in their lives. And as he believed in Christ and began to become a follower of Christ, it was almost as if that persecution was reversed. Those that used to be his partners in ministry in this sense were now seeking to take his life. And even on a trip to Jerusalem, after he had had years of fruitful ministry where he could look back on his life and he had several places in Corinthians and Ephesians and others, he talks about how God took him through a series of events where he was flogged, where he was stoned, where he was left for dead at city gates, where he was imprisoned. And he, at every step, there was opposition to the gospel that he was living. And so now he's writing this letter to the Philippians and he reminds them that as they stand firm in their faith, as they stand firm in what it means to be a follower of Christ, there is another aspect of that that is involved. And he says, just as you believed, there is a calling also for you to suffer. You know, we kind of like to live life without suffering. That's kind of a part of our kind of American dream is we want to somehow live life and not endure any suffering. And so we have uh, the best of pharmacies and medicine and, and we do everything we can to bring comfort to our lives because we are opposed at all ways of any kind of suffering from sickness or uh, from any kind of discomfort. And while some of that may be in view here, the context is clear. This is in view of Paul's suffering because of proclaiming the gospel. This is suffering for Paul living out his life as he's preaching the gospel and living his faith and sharing his faith. And so it's clear that this suffering that he's talking about is coming as a result of living as a faithful follower of Christ. And you can be sure that when you begin to do that, that oftentimes there is opposition. If you've been on a mission trip or you've been uh, outside of the U.S., there's probably a likelihood that you've met believers who have experienced suffering. Uh, I've been in many places around the world, in Africa and Romania and in Thailand and other places where literally you're having conversations with people who literally had to face the fact that they could lose everything and literally lose their life for the very identification that they had of being a follower of Christ. And oftentimes, we're asked to deny and to convert to another faith. And in their saying, no, 
it costs them everything. In material possessions and in comfort. And you know, you, you look at that and your heart is broken. But also something else that I've discovered in that, when you spend much time with those believers, you very quickly realize that there is a depth to their spiritual life that you know nothing of because you've not experienced that suffering. That there is a maturing that takes place through that suffering. That there is a greater faith that takes place in their lives because of that suffering. And there almost becomes a sense in where I want that sense of depth of spirituality, but oftentimes the check in our spirit is, but do I want to go through what they went through? Paul would say to us, don't shy away from it. God will choose whether he brings that into your life or not bring, doesn't bring that into your life, but your path is for faithful living for him to honor him in your body, to honor him in living for Christ, to honor him in progressing in your faith and having a greater contentment in him. And yes, there may even be a path of suffering that comes for you, but don't shy away from it because it may be the greatest spiritual journey yet to take place in your life. You and I know little what's ahead in our lives. Any more than sitting in the same place this time last year, you knew all the experiences that you were going to have, but those experiences came and they went, and you're here. And God, I have a feeling, has shown himself faithful in every way. But be assured, God wants to keep doing that. And he wants to do it again and again and again. And it could be that the greater progression, that the greater joy that the greater opportunities of glorifying Christ are still yet to come. In fact, you can be assured of that. And I would hope that today that we could go out of this place rejoicing and asking God, God, what do you want to do? And I'm going to ask you to get alone this week. Find a place, maybe the place where you go every day to have your quiet time. It may be uh, in the busyness of the holidays, you've not taken some time, but I want to challenge you to get alone for a couple hours, open your Bible, and ask God, God, what do you want to do in my life this next year? And then start looking for the resources that he wants to use. I have a feeling you know what some of them are. If not, go, go out here to the book area and look, and I have a feeling there's some great resources out there where you could find. Pastor Thurman wrote a blog on it a couple weeks ago. He gave some suggested resources. Where we have places on our website. There are multiple places where you can find resources that God wants to use in your life to take you to the next level. But don't look past his word. Don't look past the reading of God's word and the power of his word to transform your life. And whatever you do to progress in your faith, make sure it's centered in his word or make his word central to that spiritual growth because that is the process of growth in our lives. I hope you'll take that challenge. And I hope this will be a year for all of us of greater hope and a greater expectation of the glory of Christ. Let's pray.
God, thank you for the opportunity we've had today just to look at your word and to look at this expectation that Paul had of his life. And as he was writing under the inspiration of the Spirit to challenge us in many of these same areas. So God, I pray today that you would challenge me, that you would challenge us in our spiritual lives to a greater glorification of you, a greater desire of you, a greater desire for your word and to be vessels of honor and to live lives that glorify you and that would be true of us for us to live being Christ. God, maybe for someone who's in this room for the first time, it's a, a challenge of, they've been living their life on their own and they've struggled and they've struggled to find hope. And I pray today that they would see that that hope is in you. And God, that you would give them the courage to believe and to trust and to follow you and to make their life followers of you. God, your spirit is working today. And so God, we trust that you would do your work as you always do in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. God, you see our hearts and you know what you want to do in us. God, I pray that we would draw on the power of the Spirit and God, that we would act in faith to allow you to transform us and to change us. God, today, the service is yours. These challenges come from you. And God, I pray that you would teach these truths, not just in our minds, but in our hearts. And that God, that these challenges would be actions that glorify you. God, thank you for who you are. We ask this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father. You are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 
I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.